Hello and welcome to section two, episode 29 of the LUFC Fan Zone podcast. I'm Sam Isles. And I'm Jack Ellis. And each episode, we'll be talking to an ex-Leeds United player or manager about their time at the club. Last episode was the first section of episode 29 with Howard Wilkinson. And last week, Howard was speaking about his first few seasons at Leeds and winning the Division 2 title. But one thing that stood out for me, Jack, in that first section was Howard speaking about arriving at Leeds and first becoming aware of Leeds wanting to appoint him as the club's manager. Because he said that he first found out through a club journalist, which I just can't imagine happening in today's modern football. Yeah, usually, yeah, usually everything's everywhere before even the club know about it, which is obviously a bit of a far stretch. But he was saying that a reporter rung him up to tell him that Leeds wanted him to be manager. And at the time, he was in Division 1, which is obviously now the top flight of English football, known as the Premier League, with Sheffield Wednesday at the time, who I believe were in about fifth. Howard initially laughed off the approach from Leeds, but the persistence from Leslie Silver eventually paid off and he made the decision to eventually come to Leeds, leaving Sheffield Wednesday in the first division for Leeds United in the second division. Yeah, and another thing which stood out for me in last week's episode was Howard speaking about one of his first signings at the club, which was Gordon Strachan. And obviously at the time, Leeds were a mid-table Division 2 team However, somehow, Howard managed to persuade Strachan to join Leeds from Manchester United, who, of course, like Sheffield Wednesday, were in Division 1. And in the previous season, Strachan played almost every game when Manchester United finished second. But still, Howard's vision for Leeds allows Strachan to buy into his plans and make that switch from Old Trafford to Ellen Road, which, again, just like before, I can't imagine happening in today's football. No, no, I think uh, I think a transfer like that is a thing of the past, unfortunately. And Strachan was 32 years old at the time and Leeds paid £200,000 for him. So, you know, he definitely had bags of experience. And shortly after his arrival, he ended up becoming Leeds United captain. And Howard explained to him the vision of gradually improving Leeds brick by brick, once again in his own words, rather than expecting instant success. Uh, and... It was an ideology which Strachan bought into at the time and I don't have to explain this and it goes without saying that how influential Gordon Strachan was as a player for Leeds and how Howard Wilkinson once again in his own words said that how vital he was to Leeds United being successful during his tenure at the club. If you haven't had the chance to listen to that previous episode in section one with Howard Wilkinson or if you missed any of our other shows, they're all available on Spotify, YouTube and Apple Podcasts simply by searching the LUFC Fan Zone podcast. Just before we go into today's show, today's episode is sponsored by the Mystery Football Kit Co. So the guys over at Mystery Football Kit Co have reached out to us and happily agreed to sponsor the podcast and support us as a small business ourselves. They are Leeds fans and what they are offering is a Mystery Football Kit Box. And if you're not sure what a Mystery Football Kit Box is, it's the opportunity to get your hands on a shirt you might not have got before. It's from any team, from any time, including this season as well, all over the globe. All you have to do is select your size on their website, as well as any kits or colours you don't want to feature in your mystery box. So obviously you'll be selecting no red kits in that category straight away. And your very own mystery shirt will arrive on your doorstep and you won't know what kit you've received until you open up. All of their shirts are hand-picked to each order and every item is of high quality and I must emphasise as well, genuine brand new football shirt from either this year or any previous year from any club around the world. And because of our partnership, as well as the fact that we like to look out for our listeners, 
if you enter the code LUFC Fanzone at checkout, you'll receive 10% off your order. So make sure you head over to Mystery Football Kit Co on Instagram or www.mysteryfootballkitco.com to check them out. And make sure you add the discount code LUFC Fanzone at checkout. And that's where we left it for section one with Howard Wilkinson. But today's section is all about Leeds' time in the first division and the Premier League under Howard's management. This second section of the show continues with Howard speaking about Leeds' first season back in Division 1 after winning their second division at Bournemouth in 1989. As we all know, the following season, Leeds did win promotion to Division 1 and the title was decided on goal difference between Leeds and Sheffield United, who both finished on 85 points. And in Leeds' first season back in the first division, you once again added to the squad with Gary McAllister arriving for over £1 million from Liverpool, John Lukic for another £1 million from Arsenal, and Chris White from West Brom. But there were only three additions that you made in, in that title winning side. And Because of that, what was your aim for that season? Did you feel like Leeds could have competed for the title in the very first year, or, were you, or, or would you have been satisfied just to avoid relegation? When we sit down at the beginning of the season, I, I didn't say, uh, listen, lads, the plan is to uh, finish fifth in the league or finish third in the league or finish what? It's... We're now in a new chapter of the book. Um, there are steps in the book that, that we need to achieve. The first one is getting X number of points. Because I've looked at the tables for the last 20 years, and X number of points guarantees you avoiding relegation. So that's the first. Get those in the bag. And then look at the next objective. So... We'll reassess when we get there. By when I said we'll reassess, obviously as you go along, you're already in your head saying, I know that I can't count on this, but I think we're going to be good for X points a game over the next six or eight. Uh, so you have that, but what you mustn't let them get into the habits of is, is as it were, seem bigger than the next game. Yes, see bigger beyond the next game in terms of the plan, but when it comes to running down that tunnel, tunnel or the night before or the midweek before that, it's the next game. That's the focus. It's like a, a good, a genuine star performer, I don't know, singer or actor, uh, you know, Next play, different role. Next show, different audience. Uh, and that's the mindset you've got to get. That, that don't, don't let the next game, don't let the importance of it, uh, as it were, be dissipated by you having some ideas of the next five games after that. Let me do that. You concentrate on the next game. And Leeds' first game of that Division 1 season was a 3-2 win away to Everton. And by the midway point in the season, Leeds had just lost three matches and were well within a chance of winning the title at the first attempt. But performance in the second half of the season saw Leeds finish fourth. But there were some standout individual performers for Leeds that season. Gordon Strachan, once again, had a fantastic year for Leeds and won the Football Writers' Football Writers Award for Football of the Year that year, which was a fantastic achievement for him, of course. And Lee Chapman scored 31 goals in all competitions. 
and just one behind the Division 1 top goal scorer, Alan Smith, who was at Arsenal, which again was a fantastic achievement. But what did you make to their seasons and how important were them two players for you to have, to have a successful Leeds United? Well, I did. They're critical. I mean, Gordon Strachan gives you a team. Uh, Lee Chapman gives you goals. Uh, I signed Lee Chapman at Sheffield Wednesday when he was not doing very, very well. I didn't know Stoke, uh, Arsenal and so on. Uh, and basically, getting Lee Chapman to sign with Sheffield Wednesday was a matter of sitting him down when we first met and saying to him, if if I can guarantee you X number of strikes in that area there, on average every game, how many goals do you think you score? So he gave me his answer. I said, well, I think I'm being a bit optimistic, but uh, I'll go with that. So I said, I'll guarantee you that that's what you'll get. Uh, because the way we play... We'll, the, the, the rest of the team, the rest of the club will, will come to recognise that whatever people say about how you play and how you, you know, how you get to the point where you score, you've got to get to the point where you score. And that end is not a very big area. Even back then, we knew from stats that 80% of goals scored, the final touch is within that area, as it were, penalty penalty spot, an arc round to the edge of the six-yard box, and then two lines to the post, 80% of goals are scored from in there. So, um, it doesn't matter how you play, you're not going to score if you don't finish up with the ball with one of your players in that area. And what I, I said to Lee, and he, he, he understood it, and we will play in a way which will do that. Uh, so, and, and you know, no matter how well everything else happens, there'll always be people who will, as it were, score your goals. And what, what, what they want to know is you will give them the opportunity to score goals. That it's not some vague notion of, well, if he plays well and he does that, and that look, fellas, these are the facts. These are the facts. And, and it was the same with set pieces. Our record on set pieces was terrific. Because they understood, even on defending, where I introduced them to zone marking and, and in, in the defending third and was able to show them that, without getting boring, that first touch on, a, when defending first a set piece, the most important thing was first touch as the defender. And that the best way to get that was not to go chasing people all around the penalty box, but to actually occupy areas where you knew the opponents were going to put the ball. <laughs> you know, if somebody puts a corner down and it's going to be long, you know where it's going to go. You yeah. know, so why go chasing somebody who runs outside that area? Uh, it it, it makes sense. You know, ask any general. Put your. <laughs> Put your soldiers where the enemy are going to attack. <laughs> At the start of that 1991-92 season, Leeds had a great start to the first half of the season, like the previous campaign. But in the second half of the season, the results continued and they were still well within a chance of winning the league. 
Leeds' final away matchup that season and the second to last game of their campaign was away at Sheffield United. And you and the side knew that if Leeds won, Manchester United also had to pick up three points to keep the title race alive. And as a bonus, Manchester United kicked off when the Leeds game had finished. Because of that, obviously it was a huge game for Leeds. But how did you prepare the Leeds team for that game at Sheffield United? Because... Because of the importance of that game, was it any different to the games you prepared before or did you try and keep everything the same? After we lost at Man City, I had a long think about the last four games. And I sat the players down on on Monday afternoon, I think it was, and said to them, look, in these four games, if we win three and draw at Liverpool, which I think is achievable. I think Manchester United will have to be a very good team uh, to get that number of points. And <clears throat> so the players, I'd said to the players, so if we get three wins and a draw, uh, that, and the draw was away at Liverpool, and I'd, I'd sat them down and, and I said, and by the way, if I can, I'll be making one change for the team at Liverpool. I don't want to be making ch- changes. This will be the team for the games, but if uh, but I will make one change at Liverpool. And in that respect, the next day there's a knock on the door and it's Gordon Strachan. And he said, uh, "I won't use the words he used, but more or less, uh, Gaffer and uh, you know, blah 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 blah." And I know when you're going to make. Who, I know about the change, and I know you're going to make the change. And he said, it's me. I said, yeah, because I'll be happy with the point there. And I think that leaving you out, one, will keep you fresh. And two, will make us a little bit stronger defensively. Uh, And Gordon, yeah, yeah, fine. He accepts that. So the, the only good thing was that the fixtures finished up with us playing, as it were, in the morning and then in the afternoon because... I'd said to them on that occasion when we had that meeting, and remember, they've got to go to Liverpool. And what we've got to do, we have got to get enough points between now and that game to try to ensure they've got to go there and win. Because the toughest away game they could have and need to win at that time would be at Anfield. And so the, the lads did their bit and it worked out. And of course, Leeds won that game at Bramall Lane 3-2, which put the pressure back on Manchester United to get a result against Liverpool, which, like I mentioned before, kicked off after the full-time whistle, which allowed you and your Leeds players to watch the game live on the telly. There were then famous shots on BBC of Lee Chapman, David Batty, Gary McAllister and Eric Cantona all sat on the sofa together with the BBC cameras pointing at them, watching the game live to get their reaction. But where did you watch that Manchester United game against Liverpool? And where were you when Liverpool beat Manchester United, which of course meant that Leeds won the Division 1 title? Uh, I was at home um, and Bill Fotherby and his wife were at home with me and we had Sunday lunch, Sunday dinner. Uh, I said no, I'm not going to watch the game. Uh, and I don't want to know the result and so on and so forth. But our young son, Ben, was 
just about old enough to realise what was going on. And he'd got a television upstairs in his room. And about halfway through lunch, he came wandering down the stairs and said, Dad, I think we've just won the league. Um, and after that, there was a gradual party development, which finished about 2 a.m. that morning with people turning up, uh, uninvited but welcome, uh, including Dave Bassett and his wife, who turned up uh, to say well done and so on and so forth. And as is normal with Dave, was not going to refuse having a laugh and a drink. So, you know, it was a long night. <laughs> um, but, but an enjoyable night. Right? What's the point in me sitting there watching the game and I've got no control over it. I can't do anything about it. And if I'm going to be tormented, I'd like to be tormented at the end when I know Liverpool will win rather than at half-time when they're 3-0 up or whatever. Manchester United, I mean, have won. But So it's just a question of self-preservation, I suppose. The final match of that season was yet another win and this time over Norwich City, meaning that Leeds finished the season on 82 points and lost just four games all year, which is a fantastic record. And following that Norwich win, you and the side celebrated the fantastic season on a traditional open-top bus tour around Leeds, showing off the trophy to the people of Leeds and having huge celebrations in Millennium Square, memories which will last forever with Leeds fans who were privileged enough to be there and watch your side play, something which unfortunately me and Sam aren't old enough to experience. But how did that feel for you to be celebrating being champions of England with the people of Leeds? Well, you can't explain that um, relief, but... But more than that, uh, just enormous appreciation that, that that a football club can, as it were, create such a positive atmosphere, not just in terms of people being out there and screaming and shouting, but just the sense, general sense of well-being with a, within a city, within a town, uh, that, that, you know, and it, it, it's just is an enormous impact on on a city and and it's and, and what's happening in that city at the time um, just lifts everybody uh, and the other thing is that, it, that from a player's point of view sometimes you don't recognize what it means to people yeah you're playing a football match in the, in the terrace and so on but when you're driving through the streets and they're lining the streets all the way along and then you get to the main square and it's rammed full, um, almost dangerously rammed full, um, it, it suddenly hits home. Uh, so it's, you can't buy it. An experience you can't buy. And as well as the trophy and success for the team as a whole, following that campaign, you were named the 1991-92 season Manager of the Year for your side's effort. So what was it like to win that individual award on top of the success that you already had with the Leeds team to highlight your importance to that title win? Um, well, it, it, nothing beats the title the title wins not a matter of opinion. 
it's it's a matter of goals and points. Uh, manager of the season at the end of the day, yeah, people look at your record and they look at the points and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it's still, it's still uh, opinion. And sometimes the winner of the the best person, the person with the best results and the most points doesn't win it. Uh, I mean, it should be, but, but it doesn't. Uh, so the, so the, the real, if you like, badge of honour is the number of points and that number of points being more than the rest. And what what happens after that is very nice. The pats on the back are very nice, uh, more than very nice. And, and the celebrations, etc., are all very nice. Uh, but the thing that remains in the record books is played 42, played 46 or played 38, X points and X points are three points better than the club that finished second. And as you know, that title win is known by Leeds fans as the last proper champions because the following year was a formation of the Premier League from Division 1, meaning that Leeds were the last ever team to win the Division 1 title. But when were you aware that the league would be changed to the Premier League and what sort of impact did you initially think that it would have on English football and, more importantly, Leeds United? I was aware of, of what was going on when it began to be, as it were, discussed as a, as a, as a, a future possibility. Uh, and I, 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 at that time, I thought it was an idea that was worth look, exploring and have a look at because tradition is very important, but, but also evolving in a better manner is very, very important. In fact, more important. So to actually see the Premier League as a platform for better things ahead was a good idea. Whether, whether that good idea then gets, if you like, uh, how shall I say, becomes seen as a more of a cash cow, that's not a good idea. Uh, and that's why what's recently, what was recently proposed was not a good idea because it takes away the, the, fact, the, the, the lure that everybody can dream, that everybody thinks, you know what? It may be a million to one for us. It may be a thousand to one for them. It may be a hundred one to them. But there is a chance that we could climb that ladder and get into that room. And you, that's sport. That's sport. Whether it's the hundred metres, the high jump or whatever, there's got to be the possibility when I am 15, 14, 13 year old, if I'm good at it and I enjoy it, that I could be world champion. You cannot, as it were, start selecting people and saying the world champion will come from these 30 people at 15 year old or 16 year old you have got to leave the door open for winners to emerge into that next room in that inaugural premier league season leeds finished 17th which was just one point above the relegation zone and failed to win any of their away games that season 
And as well as that, they crashed out of the Champions League to Rangers in just the second round. So why do you think there was such a dramatic change in form compared to the previous title-winning side? I think, um, for starters, you, you, you won't believe this, but I did say at the time to Leslie when we were talking about the roadmap that one of the problems was going too far, too fast, too soon. That, that people need to keep in their heads this idea that, that building the, the structure uh, sometimes does not, as it were, give you miracles straight away. In fact, miracles straight away can be a, a, a drawback. Um, and to a degree, that's what we got. We got a... Um, a negative um, effect from it. Uh, it's hard when players have done what they've done and seen what they've seen and got the medal that they've got uh, sometimes to get feet back on the ground. So for all sorts of reasons, uh, the performance wanes and you've got to be strong enough to take that and carry on with the same sort of conviction and same sort of drive, knowing that at the end of the day, you'll get to the destination. Because as I, as I keep saying, uh, whenever you set out on a journey, no matter how well you plan, things will go wrong. And part of being very good at what you do is being able to deal with that part when things go wrong. Uh, so I didn't see, I saw that season as a disappointment, but I didn't see it as a disaster um, because I knew that both within the team and outside the team coming along, we had, we had the nucleus of a very, very good, uh, what I would call, team of players who had been born in the hospital in Leeds, as it were, or the dressing room in Leeds, and had come up through the system and who'd played together uh, and emerged as strong contenders in international football for their various countries. And as I say, um, when, we, when I talked to Leslie, I, I had said, and we get promoted, and I don't envisage us winning the championship or the Premier League as it was to become for another four or five years. So I think that's how long it will take to to build the structure such that the structure is able to support uh, the performances and able to give us from within the club this push from underneath. And at that point, it was not the right time to introduce uh, Jonathan Woodgate and so on and so forth and the rest around him. Uh, we had to be patient because although I persuaded Leslie, uh, this is an important story because at, the, at our, our last meeting, what I said to Leslie, well, you know, we've talked it through, we've written it down, um, there's now a question only you can decide, which is 
how do you want to do it? Do you want to do it the quick way or the slow way? Um, and he said, what's the difference? And I said, very little other than if you want to do it the quick way, you will have to put up and provide for me three million pounds from the very start, which I may or may not spend, but that will definitely accelerate progress. Uh, but with it will comes problems unless you're going to keep doing that. Uh, and that's only, that's a, a what if, because I don't envisage us being able to, to do better than that. Uh, within those first two years, um, by a long chalk, I, I thought we'd be, you know, battling away mid-table. But uh, credit to the players and credit to those who come in, uh, it, we, it did it did work out like that. But it was a tough act to repeat. But we got back on track the next season uh, and back into the sort of position and state of mind that I thought would then be the allow us to bring the younger ones on. Because I did I did think at that time, or I, I wouldn't think like that now, but I did think at that time that that was the best way to bring, to build a strong team in England, to, to develop your own and bring them through and so on and so forth. And which was being mirrored over the Pennines at Manchester United in Bay. Yeah, and moving on to Manchester United, one flashpoint during that first Premier League season was to do with Eric Cantona, someone who joined Leeds a year before from France, but of course left Leeds for Manchester United in November that season when Leeds were bottom of the Premier League. And obviously he went on to be a great player at Manchester United and became a player that might have surpassed expectations when he was at Leeds. But would you be able to explain his departure from Leeds? Because it seemed as if there was a bit more to it than just his football ability. Because in the end, when he was left out of that squad against Arsenal, where Leeds won 3-0, it was believed that he also handed a transfer request at Leeds. Hmm. Um, at the time, it, it was it was be the best thing for the club. I'm not saying it was the best thing for everybody, but in my opinion best thing that based on what I knew that that he left the club. Simple as that. And that following season, your lead side finished fifth in the league and fifth again once again. And in that third season, in the nineteen ninety five, ninety six season, Leeds finished thirteenth in the Premier League. And despite when despite getting to the final of the League Cup in that season, after a four nil loss to Manchester United, your time at Leeds came to an end. And you were relieved of your duties after that game by Leeds chairman Bill Fotherby. But when were you aware about the possibility of losing that Manchester United game might result in your time Leeds coming to an oh, end? I was, I, was aware of, I was aware of it for, uh, I can't remember now, five, six weeks. Uh, another manager rang me uh, and, and told me that my job had already been taken and by and for who. Uh, the club was being sold. Uh, the players knew that that my job had already been offered to someone who had accepted it. Um, and I had conversations with 
Leslie and Bill on a number of occasions about resigning and uh, and they wouldn't let me resign until after the Manchester United game when Bill came in and said, uh, you know, well, okay, I can understand what problems are. Uh, I think they were hoping that despite the fact that, that I mean, it's a ridiculous situation when, when, when your players know that you're, that you don't have a future. Yeah. And then football's like that. You can't keep secrets like that. Someone, it's a lot, it's an old saying, but it's, but it's true. And it's still true. And it's a good one to finish on. Uh, that time, they used to say, if somebody farts in the dressing room in Newcastle, they smell it in the dressing room in Southampton the day after. <laughs> <laughs> just lastly Howard what was it like to leave Leeds after eight years at the club because obviously you had some very successful times at Leeds winning both the first and second division and managed a side for 400 matches winning almost half of your games at the club which of course makes you one of the most successful managers in Leeds United history so what was it like to leave in that way and left that sort of legacy at the club it was it was heartbreaking, but it, I wasn't ill. I didn't have a terminal disease, uh, but it was still heartbreaking. Uh, but that's football. It's, uh, that's likely to happen, and when it does happen, you've got to be able to deal with it. So, not very nice. Uh, we were inches away from from getting over the first real landmark having a team full of our own players, probably two years away. Uh, and you know that, that we need to look beyond the horizon, that that, that will be possible. Um, but, you know, it's getting a ring with the boxing gloves on, you know you might get knocked out. <laughs> if, you can't, if you can't, don't get that one, then don't get in the ring. <laughs> uh, because the the upside far outweighs the downside, so eventually I got over the fact that that what I thought happened was wrong, and I recognised that most of what had happened was good, and that was the part to concentrate on. As always, in the second section of the show, we put forward four questions to our guests, which have been submitted by some of our LUFC fans on Instagram followers. To have the chance of featuring. Simply head over to our LUFC fans on Instagram page and look out for our guest announcement, where the best four questions in the comment section of that post will feature in this section of the show. This week's first question comes from Adam, who asks, if you could pick one player who played in your 1991-92 title-winning side to play in today's Leeds United Premier League side, who would it be and why? I couldn't pick one player. Too many good players. Too many good characters. This week's second question comes from Matt, who asks, It was well known that you drilled discipline into your lead side, but were there any players who didn't buy into your strict methods? And if so, what were their consequences? Um, I, uh, no, what, 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 I, what I explained, I still believe, is the fact that if, if you want to achieve things, then you have to accept that commitment and dedication are essential. Uh, 
And not only do you have to accept that, you have to know and understand that. So uh, that's not me. That's you. That's your decision. You don't and can't see that, and you have to recognise you will not be as good as you could be. End of story. And next up is Dean, who asks, during your time at Leeds, you were well backed financially by the owners, but was there ever a player who you tried to bring to Leeds, but the move never happened? No, because I had a rule, no regret. <laughs> waste, why waste time? I, I, yeah, have, yeah, I could have said that a number of times. But that's life again. You get in a car, whether it's your fault or not, you will be involved in an accident at some point. And this week's and final I, question comes from Stuart, who asks, what is your favourite memory about being the manager of Leeds United? Promotion of almost. <laughs> Good answer. And that ends today's episode. Thank you to everyone for sending their questions and thank you so much for your time, Howard. It's been great having you on the show. My pleasure. I'm sorry, but I couldn't do longer, but no, I, I had no. commitments and have commitments. But uh, That's fine, Howard. Thank you so much. A, it's been a pleasure and thank you very much for your efforts. We'll be back next week with another guest. Stay tuned for the post over on our LUFC Fan Zone Instagram later in the week. Thanks for listening.